Lord, you are great. You are the all-powerful one, our creator and our Lord. You are the one who gave us life through your word, through your breath. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, as we hear from your word today, that it would bring us new life in you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's uh, good to be back after a a month or so of uh, spending most of our time um, with the little one. Uh, Abe's doing well still. Thank you for your continued prayers and support for Katie and I. Uh, Abe is in the house today. He's in the nursery. Um, Don't everybody rush at once. There's... um, But... um, uh, things are going well at home, but it, it is good to be back. I um, actually won't be preaching next week, though. Uh, my dad is going to be here uh, preaching, so you get to, to meet my dad next week. Um, this, this next week, I'm going to be uh, in Chicago on a continuing education week, and uh, he'll be here next week, so you'll get to meet him, and looking forward to that. This morning, uh, we are going to continue to talk about uh, suffering and persecution, and I would ask you to turn with me to the book of First Peter. One of the main themes of the book of First Peter is endurance through suffering and persecution. And so we're going to be looking at a, a few different sections of this book um, as we consider the persecuted church in the world today. And there's really just two uh, main points that I, I want us to look at today. Uh, first, we're going to talk about how we are called to respond to the persecution and suffering that we see going on in the lives of our fellow Christians. And then secondly, talk about how we are to respond to persecution and suffering in our own lives. So how we are to respond to the persecution that we see happening among the church throughout the world. And then secondly, how to respond to it when we experience it in our own lives. I don't know about you, but when I, I hear stories like the one that we heard today or that, uh, that Eldon talked about or that you hear in the news or if you uh, pay attention to Voice of the Martyrs website or uh, other things like that or just hear about the persecuted church, it's hard for me to believe that these things are happening on this same planet that we live on. It's hard for me to understand in my own experience when we consider the freedoms that we have and uh, the freedom to gather and to, to serve Christ openly The experiences of our brothers and sisters in Christ seem so far from our experience. It's hard for me to imagine. And so I am grateful for this tradition that Broadway has of recognizing the persecuted church, very specifically uh, once a year. It's kind of a new thing for me. I've not really done that much in my life. And so I'm grateful to Eldon and the GO team for making sure that we do this every year because we must remember We must remember. Paul wrote uh, the letter of Colossians when he was in prison. And his last words to them in that letter was, Remember my chains. Remember my chains. He didn't lay a guilt trip on the church in Colossae saying, Why aren't you suffering as well? He didn't make them try to feel guilty because they were free while he was in prison. But he said to them, please remember my chains. Don't forget me. Don't forget where I am. Hebrews 13, 3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. 
Hebrews 13 takes it even a bit step further than Paul did in Colossians. When we remember, Hebrews says we are not to simply to bring them to mind, but to sympathize with their situation. To feel what they must be going through. To feel the suffering and the isolation and the hurt and fear that our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you were also being mistreated. It's easy to forget. It's easy to forget. To carry on with our very comfortable lives here in the U.S. with all of our freedoms and our privileges and our relative wealth. If we're going to be faithful to Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3, we must take time to pause and to remember. It's important for them. Paul said, remember my chains. Don't forget where I am. Remember me. It's important for them, but I want to say it's also important for us. To remember too. It helps us to put our own lives in perspective. This past Wednesday or Thursday, I was uh, heading out of the house, getting uh, Gloria to school, and I put on these shoes, I think, and I was looking at my other brown casual shoes, and I said to Katie, you know, I think I need uh, a couple new pairs of shoes. Um, Shoes that I have, I've had for four or five years, and my, my legs are getting kind of sore at the end of the day because the soles are kind of wearing out on them, and so I think I need some new shoes. It's good for us to remember because it does put our lives in perspective. I have categories for my shoes. Casual. Casual dress. Dress shoes. Work shoes. Sometimes we get needs and wants confused, don't we? I need a vacation. I need a new pair of shoes. I need a new car. It's not wrong to acquire things that we want, but it's also good to make the distinction in our mind between needs and wants. To be clear, even about the language that we use about the luxuries and comforts that we have. And remembering the suffering of our brothers and sisters can help us gain this proper eternal perspective on our life. Remember their chains. Remember. Our fellow Christians in the world need to know that they are not forgotten, and remembering is also good for our soul as well. We're also called to pray. Remembering our brothers and sisters in Christ causes us to turn to God in prayer. Remembering them, hearing their stories, and coming to terms with the fact that these things are actually happening on our world at this time and in this place reminds us that we, in and of our own strength, are powerless to do anything. And so we must pray. If anything is going to change in these matters, if they are going to be protected in any way, if anything in our world is going to change, God must do it. And so we must pray. And when we pray, we certainly should pray for them that God would protect them physically. But I think that often we're tempted to focus on that the most, for their physical protection. And of course, we should pray for that. But even more than that, 
We need to pray for their spiritual protection. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 10 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Our spiritual enemy is at work in their suffering and in their persecution. He is seeking to cause people to turn from their faith and to reject Christ. And so we must pray that those who are going through persecution, that they would stand firm in the faith. Their physical life is temporary. Their spiritual life is forever. We must pray for their spiritual protection as well as for their physical protection. We need to remember, we need to pray, and we need to act as God leads. You have an insert in your bulletin with a dozen or so ministries that are ministering to the persecuted church. Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors, these groups on their websites, you can go, and they have dozens of ideas of ways that we can respond, ways that we can act in order to support our brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything from writing them letters that they can receive so they can know that we have not forgotten them, to writing government officials on their behalf. It is true that if anything is going to change, then God must do it. But God has created the church to be his hands and his feet. And often it will be through the actions of the church and responding and acting in whatever way he leads us that he will bring the change that is needed, will bring relief to our Christians who are suffering. Remember... Pray and act as God leads. For the rest of our time, I want to talk a little bit about how we are called to respond to suffering and persecution in our own life. First Peter, again, is a, verse to, uh, a book that talks a lot about enduring suffering. And I just want to read a few passages of Scripture. Go ahead and turn to your Bibles to First Peter chapter 2. And I'm just going to read a few different passages here. I'll tell you what they are, and then you can follow along. First Peter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they may accuse you of doing wrong... They will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, that is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Chapter 3, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Chapter 4, verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The book of Peter is clearly written to a group of people who are going through suffering in their life. It's one of the main themes of this letter. 
But what I want you to notice in these verses that I read is that the primary form of suffering that those who are reading this letter seem to be going through, at least the ones that Peter talks about the most, is verbal rejection, verbal insults and slander. There's actually only one direct reference in 1 Peter to physical suffering, and that's uh, the, what he, his instructions to slaves with their masters. All the other references to suffering speak of rejection, verbal insults, and slander. Oh, you cannot see that very well. What this is, is a... Can we get the lights off a little bit so maybe we can see it a little bit better? So this is uh, a sketching of a graffiti that was found in, on a wall uh, from first century Rome. And it's a picture of a young man with an ass hanging on a cross. And underneath it is written, Alexamenos Kabete Theon, which is Alexamenos worships his God. Alexamenos worships his God. This is an example of the kind of insult that perhaps the Christians throughout the Roman Empire may have been experiencing during the time of Peter's writing. And I think it's this kind of suffering that we experience the most because of our faith in the U.S. today. Throughout the book of 1 Peter, Peter speaks often of suffering abuse through slander or by suffering by being ridiculed by those around us. And for us, the words that Peter says to us about this kind of suffering, I think, are words that we need to pay attention to. The fact of the matter is, in some ways, this kind of verbal slander and insults can be much more dangerous to our faith than physical suffering. Throughout the history of the church, where the church has suffered physical persecution, believers' faith often grows, and the church often grows. But what I think what I see happening more now in our situation is not physical persecution, but instead it's the slow drumbeat through words about the ridiculousness of our faith. It's increasingly becoming a general assumption that Christians, maybe especially evangelical Christians, are a bit backwards, are just a little bit stupid, maybe a lot stupid, and sometimes even dangerous. And I think the danger is that over time, like an acid, this kind, these kinds of words can slowly eat away and disintegrate our faith. Here's the thing. When I think about persecution, I usually think of the renounce faith or die scenario. And I kind of imagine it sometimes when I can't sleep at night. What would I do? What would I do if someone pointed a gun at my head and said, renounce Jesus or die? And I imagine myself standing strong in the faith and saying no and being willing to die. And I think, I don't know for sure, but I think that I would. But in my daily life, I find myself scared that my neighbor might think I'm foolish because I'm a Christian. 
remember Peter, who wrote this letter? On the night that Christ was betrayed, what did Peter say? Everyone else may deny you, but I will not deny you, Jesus. I will stand with you. And then we have this scene in the garden where this legion of soldiers comes to arrest Jesus. And Peter says, here's my moment. And he grabs a sword in the face of this legion of Roman soldiers. And he cuts off one of their ears. I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. That was the moment that he believed he was going to stand and suffer and even die for Jesus. A few hours later, Peter is in the courtyard outside of the high priest's courtyard. And a little girl walks up to him and says, Aren't you one of his followers too? No. I don't even know the man. Three times denied him. I don't even know the man. What we must be on guard against in our own lives is not the dramatic. It's not the unlikely scenario that we are going to have a gun to our head and have to choose renounce faith or die. What we must be on guard about is the everyday, the everyday challenge to stand firm against the subtle assumption of the world around us that we worship an ass, that we are foolish, that we are ignorant, that our faith is worthless and meaningless. And as your pastor today, I want to seek to equip you against this kind of persecution. This very subtle form of persecution. We are not going through the kinds of persecution that so many believers throughout the world are going through. But we do experience this very subtle form that I think can eat away our faith and disintegrate it. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. This main passage for the rest of our time is 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. These are Peter's instructions about how to stand firm while we go undergo this kind of suffering. And Peter begins with this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The first thing Peter says about enduring and standing firm in suffering is, do not be surprised, but rejoice. And this is an important thing for us in the United States right now to hear. Do not be surprised. Because we have enjoyed for a very long time in our country great privileges as Christians. We get to write off our giving on our taxes to the money that we give to the church. Churches don't pay taxes on their property. Pastors don't pay taxes on their housing. The holidays in our calendar are based around our religious calendar. We've come to expect, almost as our right, that those who rule over us should favor us and put in policies in place 
that favor us. Our faith is not dependent on these privileges. Our faith is not dependent on receiving these privileges from worldly governments. Our faith is not dependent on being in control or in power. And the way that some evangelicals are responding right now is very disturbing to me. The loss of political power and cultural influence over the last 20 years or so has caused many in the evangelical church to start playing the victim, to act like we are owed certain things, and act like when we lose those privileges that we're being persecuted. There's kind of a sky-is-falling mentality, and I want to be clear that this attitude doesn't look good on us. We kind of look like the spoiled brat at the birthday party that doesn't get the third piece of cake. It looks like we're grasping for power and demanding our rights when the example of our Lord was loving his enemies and giving up his rights for the sake of others. It doesn't look good on us, and it doesn't reflect Jesus very well. Peter says, do not be surprised when we suffer. When those around you insult you and slander you, do not be surprised as if something strange were happening. This is what we should expect. And when it happens, Peter goes the next step in saying that we are called to rejoice in it. To rejoice in it because we are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. When did our faith ever become about being more comfortable and safe and secure in this life. Our faith is following the example of Jesus who willingly suffered in his life for the joy that was set before him. Friends, we have a great joy set before us. We experience it in part now. We have a foretaste of it now. But the joy of our faith is set before us. suffering that we endure as Christians in the world is one way in which we can become more like Christ. And to endure suffering, to endure shame, to endure insults in whatever form they come is a way to remind us of the joy that is not here, but the one that is set before us. Do not be surprised, but rejoice. Secondly, Do not fear, instead trust. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is the time of judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Do not fear Instead, trust. Trust that God is at work in the suffering that we experience. That God is at work in the suffering that our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing all over the world. 
When we experience suffering, no matter what kind of suffering it is in our life, there are always two personalities that are work at work that have designs on that suffering. One is Satan and one is God. It wants to take that suffering and do something with it. Peter is very clear about what our enemy Satan wants to do with it. He wants to devour our faith, to destroy our souls. That is his purpose in our suffering. When we experience suffering, that we would reject God. Why does God allow me to go through this? I can't trust God. Whatever answers we may have to our suffering, Satan wants us to lose our faith when we suffer. It is Satan's goal to make you doubt God and to ultimately lose faith in him altogether. That is his design. That is his purpose in your suffering. But throughout the book of 1 Peter, what God says is that God, what Peter says is that God has a purpose, a design for your suffering. His purpose is to refine and strengthen your faith, to prove your faith, to help you to stand firm in it. Peter acknowledges the reality of the suffering that believers are going through. And so when we come with the question is, why does God allow this suffering? Peter says is that it is one more experience in your life to refine and shape your faith and bring you to a place where you know that Jesus Christ is worth it all. For the one who knows what their hope is. For the one who is able to resist the devouring lion, the suffering in your life becomes one more opportunity to deepen your faith in Christ. Do not fear. Trust that God is at work in your suffering. Third, do not sin. Instead, do what is right. As Christians, we must remember that physical suffering is not our greatest enemy. Sin is our greatest enemy. Suffering is not our greatest enemy. Sin is. And the truth of the matter is that many people are willing to sin in order to avoid suffering rather than suffer to avoid sin. And in light of the crucifixion of Jesus, we see that our greatest enemy is sin, not suffering. Jesus Christ went to the cross to destroy the power of sin in us. It is sin that destroys our souls. While suffering physically may damage our bodies or our minds, sin destroys our soul. It makes us dead and unresponsive to God. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. It is sin that must be avoided and defeated in our lives. And in our present cultural climate, where there is no doubt a shift in our culture, we must remember to always do what is right. To be holy and blameless in the way that we respond to our neighbors. Some of the blog posts and social media chatter on Facebook among Christians is embarrassing. The ways that Christians talk to, about non-believers or about politicians that they disagree with, it is embarrassing. The ends do not justify the means. 
We must always act like Christ in response to those who disagree with us or to those who hate us. We must act like Christ. We cannot respond to insults with insults. We cannot respond to slander with more slander. 1 Peter 2.15 says that it is God's will that by doing good that you would silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. 1 Peter 2.21 says, If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that it's commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Suffering is not our enemy. Sin is our enemy. No matter what we may face, we must avoid, we must remember to be willing to suffer to avoid sin, not sin to avoid suffering. And as the culture around us increasingly challenges our faith, as our faith is increasingly treated as foolishness to the world around us, as we are subtly and sometimes not so subtly treated as stupid or backwards or dangerous, we must remember who our enemy is. It is not flesh and blood. It is the sin and the evil one that wants to destroy our souls. And if he can destroy our souls by making us respond to insults with insults and violence with violence and slander with slander, he'll take it. He'll take it. We must follow the example of Jesus. He was the one who experienced anything and everything that evil could throw at him. And he always did what was right. Even when they nailed nails in his wrists and nails in his feet, he prayed for these people who had made themselves his enemies. He prayed that his father would forgive them. Even when they slandered and insulted him, Peter says he did not utter a word in his defense. He entrusted himself to his heavenly father. He focused all of his attention on the joy that was set before him. He knew that any worldly pleasure, any worldly luxury, any worldly power was a worthless comparison to the resurrected eternal life that was waiting for him beyond the cross. We may seek to follow, we must seek to follow his example whenever we face suffering and insults and persecution, however obvious or subtle they may be. We must remember his example and with the help of the Spirit, follow in the way that he has already led us to go through. And we must remember and pray for our fellow Christians throughout the world who are suffering in very obvious ways at this very moment they would also follow the way of Jesus. That they would stand firm and be ready to pray that God would give them a great vision of the joy that is set before them so that they will be able to endure whatever the evil one would throw their way. Father in heaven, we, we know that the suffering that we experience in our daily lives is nothing in comparison to what our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering. But Lord, I pray protection over Christians in this church and in this country, Lord, who may be experiencing very subtle forms of persecution that could eat away at our faith. Do not allow us to believe the words of another, but to believe your word about who you are 
and about who we are in you. Lord, we continue to pray these things for our Christians throughout the world today. And we pray these things together in the name of our Lord. Amen.